was it bad? What was it like working with him, working with her? You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi. I'm Charles Kirsch, and this is something I've never said before. Welcome to Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And today we're here with, of course, the hosts, Rob Schneider and Kevin David Thomas, or as you see them now, Bob Goulet and Karen Morrow, who today are not the hosts, but the guests. I'm honored to be interviewing them in celebration of the fact that, well, everything they do, but specifically because they have 500 episodes now out of their podcast, which I'm sure you all know how great that is. I don't have to tell you. So thank you. Thank you for asking me. Charles, we're so happy to, to have you interview us because Kevin and I are both big fans of your podcast, uh, Backstage oh, Babble. Thank you. Yes. Oh my gosh. Which is, uh, we're so happy that someone's carrying on the legacy because Kevin and I are all Takakas. And uh, we'll get tired soon. You can't, Kevin has a walker for everybody, and it's it's incredible. So thank you, Charles. So I would love to start with looking ahead rather than behind. So I want to ask who is coming up for you on the podcast. Oh, that's a good question. That's that's great. You want to take it, Kevin? Well, yeah, it's funny. Um, and Charles, you know this as well as our listeners do. You know, Rob and I made a very dramatic statement in January. We said, you know, we can't. <laughs> we're we're so tired. We're, we are going to pull back. We're going to just relax things a little bit. And two weeks, three weeks went by. And then we said, nope, let's just get, let's reschedule. Let's start scheduling things. And that was all we needed, really. I think, Rob, is just a couple <laughs> weeks away just to take a little breather, let things yes. settle. And then we just, and I think so, someone wrote us on Facebook somewhere saying, wow, you guys really didn't take off at all, did you? Uh, no. So we are back and Rob has done such a great job. And listeners, I should say that the person who's responsible for all of these guests is not, I have nothing to do with it. There'll, there'll be one or two that I'll throw in there, but it's all Robert W. Schneider. He does all of that work. It is all Rob, and and we're so lucky that Rob does does all of that legwork. And and, and I'm, you didn't know this was going to turn into that, but this, but this I do feels, want to thank you for that. This feels like a like a Trump campaign thing. First, <laughs> Kevin will pay homage to me, <laughs> and then tell everyone how good I am. I didn't get paid nearly enough, but that's okay. And, that's uh, all right. Uh, don't you dare! Don't you dare bring that onto this podcast. I was going to try one. I was going to try. No, it's no, no, no. Stick with like Bob. So Charles, to answer your question. Yes, we we do have an answer. And so, and 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 in the last in the next week, we have like seven different people coming up, Uh, and so it's really exciting. Rob's done such a good job scheduling this. So, Rob, who do we have coming up? Uh, Well, uh, you know, uh, let's see. uh, David Garrison is coming up Um, tomorrow. We're interviewing John Rubenstein, the original Pippin. Uh, Donna Murphy, Lainey Kazan. I, th- I think that's it. I think oh, I it. think so too. No, it's we've got a couple of good ones coming up. So I would I would love to know how you two get all of these great guests you've had. I mean, just in the past year, Nathan Lane, Matthew Broderick, Victor Garber, so many, so many how, great people. How do we get them? We beg well, and we beg and we beg. <laughs> Kevin, well, how do we get that- them? I said earlier, it's a lot of Rob's legwork, uh, but you know, I don't think I'm revealing any secrets that because because Rob worked at you know and works at uh, Fifty Four Below, there there are certain you know uh, 
dare I say, Rolodexes that exist that are, you know, because the, the talent has uh, been there before, um, we're able to capitalize on that uh, connection because Rob is a producer there and so many of them have actually literally worked with Rob. Um, and then a lot of times, as you probably found as well, Charles, um, listeners, when a, one you know, guest joins us and they find out that we are, we play nice in the sandbox and they, they think, well, this is, this wasn't so bad. We get done and they'll be like, that was, that was fun. So it, usually it's easier for them to recommend to their friends, you know, who may or may not have, you know, uh, a, a career in the business. And then they say, oh yeah, go, go talk to those boys. They're, they're, they're good people. And so a lot of times it was just word of mouth that they, you know, one, it's like a domino effect, you know, one got the other one and then, you know, we're able to get a whole bunch of other ones. Going back to the very beginning, how did this? How did the idea for the podcast begin? I. You want to go, Kev? Uh, no, I was like, dear diary. If only I could find somebody that sort of <laughs> thinks like me, likes all the same weird stuff that I like. And, and Rob. No, I mean. And Robbie Russell said, "I don't want to do a podcast with you, Kevin." <laughs> so, so no, second choice. Yeah, exactly. No, it, it, it's serendipitous. It really was. It was just total luck. Uh, Rob, you've told the story. Why don't you go for it? Because we met where we taught. We teach. Uh, we taught together. Yeah, uh, and I... We, just luck. It was luck. Yeah, absolutely. It was actually pure luck because I think you were subbing somebody's class and I think I was subbing somebody's class. So we, there, were, uh, there was an audition class being taught. The teacher couldn't make it, so I filled in for them. The accompanist couldn't make it. Kevin filled in for them. I had never met Kevin before. I didn't know Kevin. Um, and so, uh, some student went up there and, and sang, and I'm using that word in quotation marks, sang Adelaide's Lament. And uh, it, and, and I think one of us at the same time said something along the lines of, you shouldn't be singing that, you should be singing He Had Refinement from A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. And you know what it's like, Charles. You know, you think you're the only person that knows that yeah. sort of information because nobody else no you don't think anybody else does and then when somebody else says it it's like ah kindred spirit yeah. kindred spirit Wait. and <laughs> then i think kevin and i for a good like five or ten minutes started pitching other great obscure comic songs back and forth the whole class was just sitting there you know twiddling their thumbs you know waiting to get out of there uh but i really enjoyed his knowledge and at the same time i was talking to him i was a big fan of gilbert godfrey's podcast which is uh the gilbert godfrey amazing colossal podcast which is brilliant and what i really liked about that podcast was he was interviewing people who stories you probably don't really know um he wasn't interviewing tom cruise he was interviewing the guy that had maybe two lines in the scene with tom cruise and those people sometimes have the best stories and the best anecdotes uh and so i i was hoping i said i wish there was something like that for Broadway, and at that time, and this, and I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, please forgive me. At that time, there were really t only two other Broadway-themed podcasts at the time. Patrick Hines had his, which was fabulous, called Theater People, and then the Ensemblist was also out there, and they were more thematic in what they were doing. So it was, but also contemporary. You know, today we're going to talk to Swings newsies, yeah, and newsies, yeah. and, and you know how yeah, to, yeah, and. Uh, and my feeling was there, there was a there was a hole that needed to be filled of talking to these older people that had probably the best stories just because they had been around for so long and they had seen the business change so much in the time that they were working. So I, I, I was like, why? I wish there was a podcast like that. And then it became, well, why don't I just do that podcast? I don't like doing things alone. I always like having a partner with me because I think it's just it it's it's better and i think this is this is an example of yeah it is better and so 
I didn't know Kevin all that well. And I just went up to him and said, does this have any interest to you? By the way, my name is Rob. It, it's true, Rob. You, we, you know, our friendship really did progress with the podcast. I mean, like I, I consider you one of my closest friends now, but I, That's it's nice. so funny how we, we, we did, <laughs> we did just join though, just saying, well, you love this. I love this. We're both, pa-, you know, we, we, we realized that we were like the same kinds of guy, you know, kids, you know, we both just love yeah. it the same way, you know? Yeah. And wouldn't it have been great, you know, 30 years ago, if podcasts were around and they could be talking yeah. to, you know, Carol Haney, or they could be talking to, you know, Jay Gardner. I mean, all these people who, you might not know the names now, but they had these wonderful lives, you know, and we, they were never really afforded that opportunity because the medium just didn't exist. So that's how we sort of made this happen. Did you automatically have this dynamic that you have as co-hosts or did that take a while to sort of fine tune? How did you feel about that? Oh, that's a good really question. Good question. Uh, I, I can, I can only speak for myself. I, one of the things that was really important to me when we were starting the podcast was I didn't want to do it with somebody that I was friends with uh, immediately, immediately. I thought it would be fun for the listener to listen to the friendship grow as the podcast went on. Because one of the problems that I have with a lot of podcasts, which is a reason why I really don't listen to a lot, I listen to a small handful, um, is that a lot of times when it's two friends who have known each other for quite a while, the listener sort of feels like I'm intruding. I, I'm not really a part of this. Uh, I should maybe, th- this is, this, these are two people with their inside jokes and their private jokes having a good time. And so I feel excluded. And that was one of the things I wanted to make sure that was avoided on this one, which was it was two people. And as they were learning each other, the audience was learning them at the same time. And Charles, you know, to be even more specific, I think we always sort of fell into that that place of me being a little chattier and uh, overly effusive. Uh, and and Rob is very naturally, you know, such a good uh, he's such a good writer. He's so quick witted. The way he like comes up with these, you know, and I'm the more I feel like feel goody, you know, laugher, loud person. But I think that yin and yang. It wasn't planned out. It just was, I, I think that's how we are. We started to realize that we had a very similar sense of humor because we had the same shared vocabulary. So because we kept reading all the same magazines and books, you know, Kevin could <laughs> Kevin could say something. Well, you Lee know, Lessig. Yeah, Lee, look at, look at that Lee Lessig photo. And, you know, and we, and we would know, oh, exactly what that meant, which was Lee Lessig is a very talented person, but he used to have ads in Show Music Magazine and you would always see this ad popping up. So when you make that joke and he, you know, it's that niche sort of humor and you go, okay, we're, we're, we can, uh, you know, operate in the same environment. So that helped a lot. And Rob, I know you mentioned Gilbert Gottfried. I would be curious to know if you both had other sort of interviewers that inspired you. I'm very into politics. So I, I watch mm-hmm. a lot of morning shows, MSNBC and CNN. I, I watch and I listen to all those podcasts. And so I started listening to, to to just the kinds of questions they would ask a little bit more. And there's, there's you know, questions that are planned questions. And then there are the kind of questions that just come out of the natural of the moment. And I, and I learned by watching people like, even like David Letterman, if you, I mean, he had that great talk show for a yeah. long time, late night. Uh, I was obsessed with David Letterman. I thought he was a really great uh, person th- to talk to. And, and I, and I, who else? Uh, David Letterman. I, I like Michael. Bo- I listen. I'm like one of those people who listens to the Daily podcast every day. I like Michael Barbaro from the New York Times. I think that he is so the way he interviews is. I've, I've in the last two years I've picked up some of his ticks of of not 
over uh, over listening. You know, I, I tend to over listen. I'm sure listeners are like, yeah, no shit, no no kidding. I but like, I, I over. You know, the first couple of years, I was like, oh, God, I've got to stop saying, mm-hmm, 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 because they don't need to hear that. But I nod my head on Zoom. But, like, I listened to this guy, Michael Pabarl, and, like, he, he's very good at that fine line of, like, being heard but not overdoing it. So those are the two I would I would offer up is Michael Pabarl of The New York Times and uh, David Letterman. I was a huge fan growing up of Larry King. I really liked Larry King oh, because yeah. I'm sure he prepared. I'm sure he prepared. But he gave the... Uh, impression that this was all off the cuff and he asked questions that he wanted to ask yes things that made him curious and sometimes they were absolute i mean sometimes you would go why the hell is he asking that and then sometimes you you would go oh my god that's such a brilliant brilliant question to be asking so i really like that relaxed style dick cavett Mm, was Dick also Cavett. great one great another one. one that i liked because it felt intellectual uh charlie rose was somebody that i really really liked so i'm going to steal one of your questions now and ask you both what is something you know now that you wish you knew then starting out i know what i can say i yeah, go you know and we've gotten better at this definitely but early on i wish that i knew how to steer the conversations better um and, and we hmm. definitely we've gotten very, much better at that i mean even subconsciously but but it, when we first started out there was something very reverent about everything everyone was saying. And there is, there's always, it's always a person's history is so special and so important, but also they're yeah. curating it. <laughs> like they're curating what they're saying a little bit. Um, and they can make that last a long time, Leroy Reams, or they can make that <laughs> yeah. last like really short Pat Birch. <laughs> so like, it's, it's us trying to like, we've, I feel like I wish I knew then how we are better at, than we thought we were at like manipulating those, not manipulating, but like having more control over that, that span of time a little bit better. I think uh, to, to relax a little bit more in knowing that what your, your audience will find you, because I, I think there was a lot of frustration on my part in the beginning, you know, Broadway world would come out with a list of like, these are the 10 top theater podcasts you should listen to. And we weren't on it, but like there were four podcasts that had gone off the air after three episodes and somehow Six they were months earlier yeah. somehow they were on the list um and so there i used to get really that used to get under my craw a lot which was you know why aren't we being recognized i think we're doing really good work not nothing against those other podcasts but like why are you celebrating something that's not on the air anymore um and eventually i think we just started to realize because we had such a wonderful community reach out to us that you know your community is your community and if people like us, they will come to us, but there's no reason to change what we're doing to get larger numbers of people. I like our community. So something that you've mentioned a few times on the podcast before is these lists that you made at the very start of your podcast of people who you wanted to get to. So can you, oh, does Kevin have his, do you have your I'm going to pull up my phone and, right now. Yeah, let's do this. Give your list. I'd be curious to know who was on them and who you've talked to and who you maybe haven't even yet talked to or oh, wait, I found my list. Oh my goodness. Okay, show me your list. Here we go. My list is this. Um, you oh. sent me, here are the ones that you sent. George Hearn, Karen Morrow, uh-huh. Dale, oh. Dale Sewell's, uh, Nancy DeSoul, uh, Mark Simon, Hal Prince, Robert Morris, Michelle Lee, check, Spence Ford, check, Leroy Reams, check, Louis Stadlin, check, George Lee, George Lee Andrews, check, Phyllis Newman, Lonnie Price, check. Jim Walton, check. Uh, Pat Morrison, we lost her. Jeff Blumenkrantz, check. Brooks Szymanski, did we? We never interviewed Brooks, he, did we? He, he said yes, and then we never heard back. 
Okay. Lilius, uh, oh. the, we'll keep trying. Anita Gillette, yes. Walter Charles, no. Rick McKay, yes. Evan Papas, yes. Uh, uh, Len Cario, yes. Uh, and... Don Pippen, we're mine. Ted Chapin, yes. Emily Grishman, we still need to talk to because she in, like invented sheet music. Um, Jack Lee passed away. Joy Franz, I don't know why I wrote her. Uh, Larry Hawkman, yes. Michael Feinstein, we still need. Jay Binder. Gary Beach, Chip Zion, Judy Kuhn, yes, Donna McKechnie, yes, Bruce Coughlin, Ru Michael Rupert, yes, David Zippel, finally, um, Lynn Cario. So the, not bad. I mean, I would say we had like 80% of the people, those names, and then 10% um, we just didn't get to in, in enough time. But that's not, that's not so bad. How much do you two prepare before an interview? Do you prepare questions or do you have sort of a sheet of the person's credits? Or how much of that do you do? When we first started... I, 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 it felt like we were writing their, our doctoral theses on each of these people because, you know, we would come in knowing like on Wednesday, April 7th, 1989, you had an omelet and um, you joined the fraternity uh, yeah. your sophomore year, but your junior year, you switched fraternities. Why your was that? And what musical were you doing at the time? Your no, transcript was... says you got a B minus in algebra, <laughs> you know, um, it, and then as it went, which was great, it was really wonderful. And then as time went on, we just started to trust our knowledge of the person more. So currently, yeah, we'll go, we'll go through, we'll look at their credits, we'll read a couple of interviews or watch a couple of other previous interviews, maybe ask a couple of other guests about that person if there's something, you know, interesting we should ask them about. And that's, but that's, yeah, so it has changed. It has changed. I think we and I think we probably did all that research, Kevin. We we knew all of that stuff, I think, going into it because we're we're geeky like that. But I think codifying it maybe made us feel more secure. Definitely. Definitely. And and because we wanted to match the people, the guests that we met. And and the greatest compliment, of course, is always when they're like, oh, my, you know, and I've, I've heard guests say this to you, too, Charles, where they're like, oh, you did your homework. <laughs> you know, and you think, yes, that's right. And I actually that was just not homework. That was just because I'm a nerd and I love this stuff. So I, I would like to know both of your opinions on this question, which is what's an interview that you thought would go very well and didn't go quite so well? And what's one you didn't think would go quite so well and went very well? Mm. Oh, what fabulous questions. Um, one that I thought was going to go really uh, not well, but ended up being really great was Nathan Lane, um, because oh. I had heard oh. I had, you horror know, stories. I, yeah, you hear horrors, you know, yeah. and you know, he's, he's this and you have to catch him on a good day and all that stuff. And I was like, Oh boy, Oh boy. I'm really nervous. He was so funny and so charming and so talkative. And I was like, we're only going to get, I was like, we're going to get 20 minutes with this guy. We're going to ask something yeah. stupid and he's going to be like, gotta go now. And then he leaves. And that didn't happen. Um, we were there for about two hours with him. And then finally his dogs had to be let out. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I got to go. And we're like, we're, no, you're, thank you. Thank you for staying with us. Uh, that was one, one that I thought was going to be easy. And I was like, this ain't easy at all. Was um, we, we spoke to Lee Adams. We spoke to Lee Adams. That's what I was going to say. And uh, he just was not in the mood to talk. I don't know what else He to was say. not having us at he was, all. He was, Once we got past, like, Golden Boy, he was like, nope, I don't, no, I'm... It's a good, it's Bird, it's Planet Superman, great. But after that, no, no and desires he, to talk he about he said, it. he's like, I don't like talking about my flops. And we, well, you know, for us, the, we love your flops. Or the things we that celebrate you celebrate them. Flops. We love, I would love to talk to you about Golden Boy. I would love to talk to you about your career in the, you know, after your collaboration with Charles Strauss. That was one that I was a little disappointed by. 
because there were so many questions I wanted to ask him. I think he was also our first lyricist we were having on. And come on, put on a happy face. Um, yeah. You know, Once Upon a Time, the our theme song for All in the Family. I mean, come on. That's one. I will give you my two are the disappointing ones where I, because I, <laughs> we always joke about her, but Pat Birch. I mean, it wasn't as bad when you go back, but it, yes. it just in the moment, in the moment, no, she is such a catalyst. She was there. She And she's that that position that like, you know, yeah, you're the choreographer for some of these musicals, but it wasn't like big production numbers. You were watching what was going on. We want to get these stories. Nothing. Just nothing. She just didn't. Until and we the- talked about Grease 2. That was about the only time that, which I was very happy about because I love Grease 2. And then, um, you know who else reminded me, Rob, uh, to talk about someone who, this is my favorite. Frank Rich did this and Linda Lavin did this. They're like, I got 20 minutes. That's it. I know. They think they know what we that we were going to offer. And then 20 minutes into it, they're like living their best life. They're like, wait. Yeah. And then Linda Lavin's husband's like, honey, we got to go to Sundance Film Festival. And she's like, I'm talking to these boys. Just give me a couple of minutes. And, you know, can you give, let me give you my phone number so you can call me back so we can talk again. You know, she, we hook, line, and sinker on that one. And that was really lovely because that is what always happens. They're always, people are always a little cautious and then an hour into it they realize they're in good hands oh what's that producer of chicago you know uh oh, very wise same thing i mean he was like all of his people in that conference room and he's doing his little monkey i'm fancy producer thing and then we get talking to nerdy stuff and he's like doesn't want to leave he's like this is this is fun you guys are you know this is a good time so those are the ones that i like that that end up having a really great time so how did you two find shetler studios in the first place as a place to record in Oh, I, I, I have been rehearsing a bunch of 54 Below shows there. So uh, Shetler felt right and natural. And it was right in Midtown. It was easy. It was convenient. The one downside, first of all, God bless them. They gave us free space. Uh, we used to advertise for them. They were so kind to us. They were so sweet to us. They used to love going, oh, who are you talking to? Did they, they remember that front of st- house staff? Oh my God, they were so sweet. But the bad acting, the bad acting next door, that was always a little like what you would you would you would hear you would be in the middle of talking to like Len Cario and someone's like, Don't you do that to me, missing you know, you're like, Well, if it sounds fake, they're, they're acting. acting. Don't they're worry. acting definitely. Oh, yeah. Don't worry about that. They're acting. They're not and we, going on. We'd have people like come in, they would just walk into the room thinking it was their time or they were in the <laughs> wrong room. And they would always be surprised, like one time I remember it was like you could t- you could tell that these girls had just come from an Aladdin call. They walked in and there was like Casey Nicola, and they were like, "What? Like, why is he in the room?" <laughs> You're like, "Shoo shoo shoo shoo." I'm not sure if everyone knows the way that you used to record in person, which was to do so many sort of on one day for about two days, and I can't imagine doing that because that just sounds so. How do you sort of maintain your freshness as interviewers when doing like four in a row? What we got really good at, I think, was, you know, okay, you know, uh, Joe Mantello is coming in. I know a lot about him. Kev, relax. Or like Larry um, yeah. uh, uh, Larry Hockman would come in and Kev would be like, I know a lot about him. Rob, you relax. So even though it was four, it was really kind of two and two because one of us would drive that one of us would drive the show and the other one would just take a little bit of a break. 
you knew, okay, he know Kevin knows a lot about this guy, so I can. We take the say. lead. Like I, my dad and I would hike, and my dad, we would get tired, and and, and each one would. We never want to get tired at the same time, so that the other one could take the lead. And yeah. I feel like that's exactly what we do. Like one person's like, I got the lead this time. Don't worry. Like I, I got the lead this time. It's I got this. And and we st- actually we still kind of do that when we go into Zoom ones. Like we sort of know, okay. Like I know with Paul Gemignani coming up, I know that Kevin is gonna pretty much take the lead on that one you know and probably tomorrow with john rubenstein i'll probably end up taking the lead on that one because i know his work just because i've seen it so much and i would love to ask how you two balance the podcast with not only your personal life but also your other sort of professional lives like 54 below and of course kevin teaching and you both teach for for a couple of years there, we, we always knew we had to do episodes. So they the episodes were our priorities. But because, like you said, we would get them all done in one day, that opened up a lot of our life to do other things. So I knew that for, like, yeah. you know, my family knew, like, seven hours on this Tuesday was a day that was dedicated to this labor of love that I have, which is the podcast. So that very much you know, became a job and, and, and not in that it was work, but just in that it was as high a priority as anything else in my life. Um, so it just was priorities. It just was merely making it as, and it was easy to make it important because it, it is and was important at the time, you know, and still is. Um, and, yeah. and it was, and it was easy when you could do that. Okay. One day four interviews and you might be exhausted by the end of the day, but those, that was your month of content. You know, you didn't have to exactly. worry about it for another month. So, Rob, I know that I won't be alone in saying that your impressions are some of the highlights, <laughs> highlights of the podcast. So I oh, no. <laughs> I would love to ask how you how you develop those and if you wouldn't mind doing a few of them. Oh my god. I uh how do I Kevin, how dare you? Kevin's Kevin's leaning in all excited. Kevin doesn't like my 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 uh I love my impressions. Oh, there was a couple months there where I thought they were getting a little there were a lot, but I loved him. I now I'm like, no, I miss them. I miss them. I, 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 I could them. tell because Kevin looked like he he just started looking around the room like when is he done? Um, I feel like you've always done them. I don't mean to talk for you, but I feel like you've always had some sort of humor when it came to observing other people, Rob. Am I wrong? That's that? no, 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 that's true. I've always done it. I've like growing up, I like was able to yeah. imitate my family and imitate, you know, teachers and stuff like that. And so I don't know where that came from. But mo- more nine times out of 10, I one, I don't think the impressions are very good. Uh, but, so thank you so much, Charles, for, for complimenting me. Um, I don't know. You know, you just throw it out there and you think that you think, OK, I think this is what the person sounds like. And every once in a while, someone will be like, oh, my God, no, that's that's you know, that's that's really good. Some of them are kind of accurate. Like, I think my Walter Matthau is <laughs> so good. accurate. Um, it sounds like I think it sounds like him. But, you know, Sergio Franchi is not the man didn't that. Did not Evo like, Van Hove. Oh, Evo Van Hove. Like they it's don't like, sound I, like that. It's just bastardization like, of the, the Dutch. Like it's, what, it's, what, who cares? It's, it's, it's bastard Danish. No, it is, and it's and so I I I, I don't know. I just I, Goulet. Honestly, most of the characters I do are actually people I. Pre, it's the same impressions I've been doing since like high school and college. It's just nobody's known me since then, so I can sort of get away with it. Bob <laughs> Goulet is actually a guy I used to work with. It's not even Robert Goulet. It's a guy that I used to work with who was very arrogant and who like loved himself and which Bob Goulet apparently was not like that at all. But in my mind, that's kind of how I envision him. And Sergio Franchi was a guy that I went to college with. It was a guy who was my undergrad who was an exchange student 
who was always so like happy about everything that was going on around him. And so, you know, nobody here knew me in college, so I can just simply say, <laughs> okay, well, you know, Giovanni is now perfect. Sergio Franchi. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, that's that's where the impressions came from. I'd love to ask if you two could take us behind the scenes or behind the curtain, if you will. Sorry if that was too far, but loved um, the Never far enough. of the most recent interviews you've done and what your sort of takeaways from those were, what those were like with Manny Eisenberg and Jules Fisher, Christina oh. Andreas, all those people. Oh wow, um, what that's a really great question. Uh, what I really liked about Manny Eisenberg was it was clear that he really loves the business, but he knows it's a business. He knows like, you know, this isn't going to, I'd love to see it, but no one else is going to want to see it. Um, and, you know, to be as a producer, the audience's advocate, he told this great story of, you know, Tom Stoppard coming up to him at the real thing and saying, you know, what do you think? And he was like, what do I tell Tom Stoppard? And he told him the truth, which is, you know, I'm bored. That's, and he's being an advocate for yeah. the audience, you know? And so I really, I appreciated his honesty. I appreciated his candor. Um, that's what I took away from Manny Eisenberg. Kevin, what about you? Anybody recently that you just... Well, since coming, since starting again, you know, sort of, because uh, we went through a moment where I thought we weren't going to be doing this that much, which made me sad, but then I accepted it, and then we are now doing it again, and, I, and I'm happy, and I'm very happy about that. But I do think because we've, you know, had some history, you know, there's been over almost 300 episodes now, 300, you know, of interviews, not to mention the other episodes. So there's like over almost 600, you know, we, and I say that only to mean that there's like a track record there. So some of the guests, even like the ones that w would surprise you will say like, Oh, I, I did look at your history. I, Cause if they're, you know, if they want to know who they're getting into, they will at least Google like the, the you know, the podcast. And when they yeah. see the names, they're like, Oh, Oh yeah, you you guys have been around. So I, I'm saying all that because I, I do think that we bring to the table now a little. If we were a little nervous and over over researching before, I'm not saying we're under researching and coming to the table cocky, but I do think we come a little more comfortable, a little more present in like treating them like, hey, welcome to our conversation that we're going to share with you. We're not like, oh, thank you for having us, but we're more like, hey, let's just talk Let's just talk about uh, the career that you've had. And it doesn't matter if they're Nathan Lane or whatever, but I do think that's why Nathan Lane's and others connect because we aren't, we aren't, we're just talking like normal colleagues. We're talking like people that have done this for a long time and we treat you like that way. And I think that there's a sense of, oh, good. Like Jules Fisher, had a blast. I mean, that is a man who's married to Graziella Danielle. I mean, like, like they are, they are together. Yeah. I've been in the business for like how many years? It's insane. It blows your mind. So half the people don't even know that they're married, which blows my mind, you know, but that that's like theater yeah. royalty, but it was fun to have already talked to Graziella to have talked to all the people they've taught. He's going to talk about and then go to him. And then he automatically feels like, well, I'm, I feel safe here. So I find that we're getting to that yeah. safe place sooner. And I, I, I like that. So it's been really fun. These last couple of interviews that we've, we've had that really feel like we're, we're able to not push back on them, but able to sort of meet them um, halfway in, in, in their careers. And it's really, it's been really, um, I think we get better interviews a little bit out of it because then they're able to take bigger choices, bigger risks. I would also love to ask about some of your first interviews and what those were like with Spence Ford and Randy Graff. Oh, and yeah. All those early ones. Magical, wonderful. Spence, you know, when we first started out, and this is advice I give to a lot of people when, when they ask for advice about, you know, podcasting and the talk show format, I say, you know, for your pilot episode, 
interview somebody you know. Interview somebody that you know really, really well. So that way, if you're bad or if it doesn't go well, you haven't tarnished your reputation. And Spence and I taught together for a number of years at Penn State. And if you haven't listened to our interview with Spence Ford, she was marvelous. She was a Broadway dancer for years and years and years and years. Incredible. She's still active, which is, I mean, still active in the business, which is great. Um, and I, I said, we'll go talk to her. She has a long history and she's a friend. And that was great. I thought that was a really nice way for us to ease in. And luckily it went well and we knew, okay, we'll do this again. We won't do that again. Then when it was starting to be a revolving door of people that we had admired, but we had never really met, because I really hadn't started at 54 Below at that point. So nobody really knew me from that end. And I think, Kevin, you were known more at that time as really a performer and not really so much of a music director, right? Am I, am I saying that yeah, correctly? Yeah, no, that's right, yeah. It was just, it was fun to see this revolving door of people come in that we just, you know, we memorized their bios from theater world. And, you know, we, we listened to them on cast recordings numerous times. And so that was there. And I don't think I've lost that still like little pinch me of, oh my God, I can't believe I'm literally less than a foot away from Jerry's axe. And he's telling me about directing, or I can't believe, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here and Nathan Lane's laughing at something that I said, you know, so there's still those pinch me moments. But and, and in the beginning, we had those all the time and somebody would leave and we would try to play it cool. And then they would go and like, oh my God, I can't believe Judy Kay was here. She talked about Magdalena. And she never, oh my God. Magdalena, it's true. That's exactly you know? what I said. I mean, like it's, yeah. we, it, it, yeah, it was, we were very um, green, but confident in what we hope to accomplish. So it was, in many ways, things haven't changed, but now we just are more at ease. <laughs> you know, we don't are, yeah. I'm not, like, my heart was, like, racing. It was scarier, definitely, at the time, and headier. But I can't say that a lot of it, I, I wish, I should go back and listen to those inter interviews, because I, I can't say that a lot would be changed if we were to, like, interview them right tomorrow. You know what I mean? And not having interviewed them before. Yeah. I, I don't think anything would change really that much. Are there still people, if you had to make a list today, who would you put on your list of dream guests? I, w I mean, John Kander is someone we would still love to get on oh. the show. Uh, Sheldon Harnick is someone we'd love to get on the show. Yeah. Um, oh, it, Lilius White, it, I, you know, is one that we've been trying to get since we started and never works out. LaShawn's is someone whose schedule is always, um, you know, in flux. And we've, we'd love to talk to her. Uh, who else, Kev? I like people that got, went on to do some film and TV, but with our roots were in in uh theater like jk simmons who was like in all of like those commercials and but he like was in the ensemble of of guys and dolls yes. you know and um i would love like, there's a great um black conductor linda twine i think linda twine is so special and so incredible she did carolina chain she did lena horn's show early on in the 80s like that's a conductor i think we should be talking to there's stage man i mean there's also positions that we haven't had like we'd like to talk to stage managers we'd like to talk to um uh, some house managers we'd love to talk to deck crew and you know it's hard because some of these people are like i don't want to you know when we asked sondheim what did he say kev he was like i've talked about he myself was so enough sweet and i wrote him an email and because we you know he i did a little night music and you know we went to his house and we we were friendly at that that day um and he was just like kevin <laughs> i've said everything i've ever needed to say and as adolf and betty would say thanks but no thanks and i thought that was like the sweetest tongue-in-cheek reply that is so expected from him and yet 
was nice that he, I mean, he wrote me within, uh, gosh, Rob, within like five minutes. I mean, I sent yeah. the email on a Sunday evening and I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe I'm sending this to Stephen Sondheim. And then right away he wrote back. And we wrote back a little bit back and forth that night. But I, those are, but the Stephen Sondheims aren't the ones, there's nothing that he's going to say that hasn't been already said before. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's why, you know, we didn't really actively pursue Hal Prince. We didn't really actively pursue Stephen Sondheim just because there's so much stuff on them. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, 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 they have biographies, autobiographies. There's, you know, 90 million theses about them. You know, we honestly, if someone was like, hey, it's between Sondheim or Larry Grossman, I'm probably going to say, let's talk to Larry Grossman. You know, because yeah. no one, uh, no one else. I mean, there's whole books and like Sondheim had breakfast on June set. You know, that's <laughs> and we're like, he had an omelet and that helped him finishing the hat. You know that stuff. And I'd rather, I'd rather say, you know, tell me about Minnie's boys. Tell me about Shelley Winters. You know, what was what was it like working with the Marx Brothers? That's that's the stuff I want to know. And how Larry Grossman specifically. We often, as fans or as mm. preservers of the art form, we have one impression of some of these artists, like my namesake, Karen Morrow, you know, and, and Larry Grossman. I, yeah. Those are two people that when we interview them, the idea that history has of them and people like Rob and I and you, Charles, is different than what they, how they perceive themselves, meaning they see themselves not as elevated as we do and 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 that was a night that was a surprising thing that larry and karen both were like oh why are you in her why are you know why am i here like and and we were like no 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 don't you know how special what you've done is for this art form um and that that's a surprise and those are exactly the kind of people that need to be preserved definitely mimi heinz i mean that's always oh. the mimi heinz interview when she's like wait so 100 yeah. years from now people are going to listen to this and laugh at me and we're like <laughs> Yeah, girl, that's exactly what's going to happen, and that—that that I still get. It's beautiful. That's that was beautiful that moment. was the most like beautiful moment I think for us is, Ever. When, is when she realized what we were doing, Ever. and that she was going to live on. In it some distilled in, in like in one moment why we why, at least why I wanted to do to do yeah. it, you know. Hello, this is Eartha. When life is not monotonous, it is lovely, especially when I listen to Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends, starring the Batman and Boy Wonder of podcasts. That's Rob and Kevin David to you. I head over to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and give generously to them. Don't give it to Ladybird. Don't give it to me. Give it to the boys, or you'll regret it. When it ends, Patreon is perfect. I would love to know if there's a certain a certain profession in the theater that interests you the most to talk to. Oh, I you know just because I'm a director, I love talking to fellow directors. Mm -hmm. That to me is a big thing. How about you, Kev? Composers, music directors, that's always like I love that language. The music language is always like one of my favorites. And also when you when you interview uh people that have really strong musicianship, I see you get all excited. Oh, for sure. Like I I yeah, I react to that language. That I, I really it's so visceral and I really I get that way too. <laughs>
Can you tell me a little bit about uh, The Set Still Wet, which was a fun series that you did for a little while? And how that... <laughs> it was a fun series. He's that we going. Did he's he's bringing up all the good gems, aren't isn't he? Yeah. You know, I'll be honest with you. It was our attempt at trying to get younger people to come listen to us because we would only focus on young people, or young, young, the actors who didn't have the 30 years of experience. And the problem was at the time, Broadway was up and running. And it was just hard with people's schedules. It was just, I mean, it was it was yeah. harder to get, you know, I'm going to like say someone like Bonnie Milligan, who's in a show and is doing a reading and then a workshop, you know, and their schedule is so small. And at that time, I, I think we were like, we don't do Zoom. We don't do Skype. We don't do phone calls. We meet you in person. Um, and so that was just, it was just hard to keep up. I would love to, you know, find a way of continuing on with it at some point. I just don't, I don't know how and I don't know when. So I'd love to know about other sort of touching moments with guests, as you were mentioning earlier, with Mimi Hines. Mm. The me, I mean, the Mimi Hines one to us, I think, was just like you know, Kevin said it was it was a crystallization of what we're doing and why we're doing it, and just seeing the, hearing the joy in her voice and the wonder in her voice, just genuine mm. wonder. Um, you know, and then there's some that we you know we look back on and we're like, I think we've lost ten people that we've interviewed. I think mm. since yeah. we started, uh, mm. and so you go back. You listen. The the Rick McKay one um, was was touching in retrospect because he came and he was a young guy, Rick. Remember, and he was like, "Oh my God, I love what you guys do," and he was so supportive of us. And then he passed away suddenly. Rebecca Luker was, you know, young. And yeah. I remember when we got Rebecca, it was kind of like, "Gee, she's really young for what we're trying to do," and like, you know, what? Why are we doing this? But then. You know, she pa- you know, she passed. Sometimes they're micro moments. They're just these little moments of humanity. Like, you know, I was, I, I still, I, I'm not a theater person. I'm not experimental theater. I'm not, that's not my bread and butter. But for some reason, the Andre Gregory interview oh. was so weird and fascinating to me. And he was so brutally honest that it just touched me. I just was very moved by him. Um, and another one that was really particularly lovely was the, even though we had to hit her twice, was Helen Gallagher, but she, that is, anytime you're in the presence of a 90 year old, um, a 92 year old twice in one year, um, it, it really, it's something really special, um, because like the history, you can see it on them. (laughs) Like you literally feel it. Andre DeShields was a special one just because yeah. he comes in with such a very specific point of view on life, which was before great. Before he won his Tony yeah. Award, before Hades Town was even cast. And one of the things I found really interesting about his wasn't sad in some ways was that he was discussing what it was like being a black person in college and what roles he would be cast in. And the fact that the roles were always, you know, your butler number one or blah, blah, blah. And then to have that same discussion still going on so many years later from college students in musical theater programs were like, I always get cast as I'm a slave in Big River. I'm a servant mm. in this play. That How far has it evolved? And so that was, Tanya Pinkins was another one. One of my favorites. Yeah. So honest, so candid, so open, and a very, very clear idea of uh, what she wants to do with her art. That was also very moving to me. And I do want to ask to keep, continuing to be a little more serious about the moments when you've sort of found out that you've lost a guest. I know Kay Ballard and Charlotte Ray are among the other ones. Mm -hmm. Martin Charnin. Martin died. And Rick Young, Rebecca Young, and Ryan King out of nowhere was also one we were like, huh? Huh? She's dead? How? She's young. 
Th- those those were, and I'm happy that we got. I'm happy that we got to talk to them, yeah. and it's yeah. not. Yeah. Who has, if you can remember, been some of the oldest guests that you've talked to, and what has it been George, like to George? George was old. Uh, Carol Cook was old, and you would not know it. Uh, Carol, I think, is like 97 now, I think, 96, 97. Um, and yeah. I went to her house to interview her, and she gave me a cabaret act. She was, <laughs> she was there for three hours with the microphone in her hand, sitting yeah, on the sofa, uh, wearing a caftan. And already I was like, I'm in yeah, love. I'm here for this. Yeah. I remember she had just gotten in trouble because she had made some sort of comment about John Wilkes Booth and Donald Trump. You remember that? The the Secret Service came to like this 90-year-old woman's house to investigate her as a threat. And she was riding high off of that. She's like, you know, she goes, no press is bad press. That's right. Um, She was my my favorite. And have you ever had an episode that actually has not at all seen the light of day, either your choice or their choice? Yeah, yeah, their choice. Well, actually, no, there have been two. One, One was with Jen Tepper, and we were talking about the theaters that had been torn down in the 80s. And literally, my 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 computer had a virus and lost the interview and had nothing. I mean, we would love to have kept that. Same thing with Helen Gallagher, number one. Exactly. We went back to Helen. We couldn't go back to Jen. I felt so bad. Um, Two, yeah, there was one individual who we interviewed, and I thought it was a fantastic interview. She was. Don't understand to this day. I don't understand what was the problem. She was great. She was wonderful. And then a week or so later, she was like, "I don't want the interview going out there. I, I don't." I don't think I, I don't think I was respectful to the people I was talking to. She was more than respectful. And I said, I don't want you uncomfortable. Well, here, here's the edited episode. You tell us if it's good or not. Uh, and we'll go from there to, you know, two weeks later. Um, let me know if you want to do it. And two weeks later, she wrote back and said, yeah, I'm, I still don't want this inter- interview out there. And she never. Uh, so we have one interview we've just never released because she didn't want it. And you have to do that. You know, they're giving you their time for free. And you don't want to embarrass, for whatever reason, she didn't feel like it was a, a good interview. For both of you, what has been your favorite, your favorite episode to revisit if you decide to listen to one again? Oh, you know, uh, I, I love the Jerry Zaks one. I loved interviewing Jerry Zaks. Kay Ballard and Mimi Hines both made me laugh really hard. And, you know, anything that Leroy does just puts a smile on my face, even the in memoriams. Yeah. In the in memoriams. And no matter what we talk about, he will find a way to mention that he fixed the staging of So Long, Deary and Hello, Dolly. No matter what's <laughs> going on, you will get that story. And, I make, and I, I'm not, there's, all, there's no shade. It makes me so happy that every story somehow he will get to So Long, Deary. I thought you were going to say that, like, despite talking about death and darkness, there's always some sort of blue joke in there somewhere. Is that the right always. term? Blue joke? Yeah. Like some sort yeah. of like off color, wrong joke. To say, and, I, that, and you're like, oh God, wait, no. Oh I, re- God, I remember when we, when, sometimes when we do these in memoriam episodes, we all, I, we always get something from a couple of listeners that are like, this is very offensive. And, you know, this is really not honoring them by, you know, you know, telling bad that. stories about them. Yeah. And I'm like, it's funny. It's awake. It's celebratory. I don't know what to tell you. He makes me laugh. This this you know, year, the same year that he lost his husband, and he was still out there, you know, giving jokes. Oh, and, absolutely, uh, you know, absolutely. One, two months earlier, Bob passes on, and and there's Leroy. We say, Leroy, you don't have to do the interview. No, no, I want to do the interview. Yeah, Mariam, I want to. That's He's great. He's great. So those are the ones I like to go back and listen to. How about you, Kev? Um, I, you know, I probably would listen to Don Pippen. I, I, he was an idol, a lifelong idol, music director. I just loved sitting in that diner 
watching him eat a chicken salad sandwich and uh, and, and and just <laughs> living that life for a minute. I, I I would remember that with that. And then Graziella Danielle, I think that energetically, as if there's a theme of one person's name other than like George Abbott and like the people that we are used to hearing be thematic people, but I feel like Graziella has been omnipresent. In musical theater, why there isn't a, a theater named after Graziella, why there isn't a special Tony Ward. I mean, like, she is, like, the lifeblood of so much of what people have done for for countless generations. Like, more than just, like, the first generation. I mean, we're talking till today. And I'm So gonna be, I would listen to her again. I'm going to be honest with you. I have never, ever, ever heard anyone say anything bad or derogatory about her in nope. any way. She's the only person I know where if you mention whoever you mention her name to, they'll light up and just want to praise her to the skies. And there's no, I can't think of anybody else like that in the business. She's absolutely magical. She's yeah. absolutely magical. So yeah, those are, and Michael John Lacusa, uh, because that interview, I feel like Michael John and I and Rob too, but like we were like, like it was like not enough time to get all the information out that we wanted to get. Um, and I thought that was one that I just... I just love that. That was yeah. that was like little 15-year-old Kevin just living his best life. And who's been the guest that you've been most excited, having nothing to do with the interview, but just the second you found out we're going to interview this person that you were the most excited about? Uh, uh, Joe Mantello was a big one for me because I love him. Uh, Jerry Zachs was a big one. Uh, Stroman was a big one. Ken Page was a big one. Uh, De- oh, Debbie Gravitt. I loved oh. Debbie... Shapiro, nay, Shapiro, grab it. Uh, she is she is one of my favorites. Tanya Pinkins. Tanya Pinkins was like, that was dream, dream come true. And and she was so amazing and lovely and it was everything I wanted. So I don't want to sort of dwell on this next question, but I do want to ask just briefly because I think people might be interested. Is there anyone who's ever said no? Oh God, yes. Yeah, and you got them. Uh, <laughs> Jill, Gray, Jill Gray said no to us. Um, uh, Cheetah Rivera has said yes. No, she's sorry. She's she said yes. It just never matched up. Um, Sondheim said no. Um, Jerry, Jerry Herman, Jerry Herman, and Neil Simon's people both said no, but they were both very clear. They're like they're both not doing well, so it had nothing to. Yeah, you know we didn't. Oh, Andrew Lloyd Webber. I think we reached out to Andrew Lloyd Webber. That was a no, or not at this time. We, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times when we hear not at this time, that and I'll say to them, I'm like, listen, you know, there's. And I'll be honest, I said, you know, if, if it's not at this time, we'll reach out and again in a few months. I said, but if they really have no interest in it, then we just won't bother again. Yeah, just tell us. You know, we don't, because we don't want to waste your time. And we don't waste our time. You know, let us know. I kept you for a very long time, but I do want to sort of wrap up by asking you about the transition to podcasting during quarantine. What that was, because I know you were, you were on a hiatus sort of between December of 2019 and then you picked up. Yeah, yeah, we were. Um, I started a theater company and then my mom passed away and it was just one of those things where I was like, it's a, I'm like, I kind of, I, I have to focus in other places. And Kevin's baby had been born a few months earlier, but I think that was, you know, that's a big responsibility, I would imagine, right, Kev? Yeah, a big life change, big life you know, change, or adjusting to that life change. Or yeah, um, you know, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I, so we took we took this time off, and and I I think we were like, we'll come back when we want to come back, and it had to be, and then quarantine hit us, and actually, not COVID by any means whatsoever, but quarantine ended up being a good thing for us because all of these people we wanted that could never 
be with us because of their schedules, suddenly yeah. had time to kill and had nothing to do. And we're excited about talking about their, uh, their, their artistic life because they weren't having an artistic life. So it wasn't hard for us. It wasn't hard. And in fact, I think one of the things that we've discussed, and you know, tell me if I'm wrong, Kevin, is once we go back to, you know, quote unquote normal, I think this is how we're gonna continue. I don't yeah. really foresee us going back into a room again to interview anybody because it's it's cheaper and it makes us more comfortable, it makes them more comfortable. Because you know, if you're if you're interviewing someone and like for whatever reason they get stuck in traffic or they can't make it, you know. I gotta can't. I gotta reserve a room. I gotta cancel a room. I gotta pay for this. I gotta pay. This is easy, you know. We just well, there's a guest today that we had to reschedule, and it's a like it was easy. We just we make a change in our calendar. We don't have to call Shetler and find. You know, it's easy for us. So I've I've enjoyed that. I've enjoyed that. What about you, Kev? Most definitely, most definitely. It's just been like a to get people in their home space is just always better information you know always i mean like watching like matthew broderick try to figure out like my mother does to figure out the ipad and how does that work and why isn't it working for me right now and then all of a sudden his face is like this close and he you know but it's i love it i'm here for that like i'm here for that realism that like just be yourself that's all anybody wants to hear is you being you oh how many Kevin, in quarantine, how many house tours have we gotten where someone has picked up the computer and taken us around to I show us mean, their house? It's insane. Like I thought, James Naughton's like, oh, there's Kelly. Kelly, say hi. Oh, hi, Kelly O'Hara. But like, you can call so her Kelly. He's like, he goes, he goes, so... that's that's my daughter-in-law, Kelly. And we're like, that's Kelly O'Hara. We know. <laughs> I thought he was trying to sell us the house, <laughs> right? Because so he was so showing us sweet. everything. Yeah, he was David like, Zippel being like, "This is Palm Beach. This is, yeah, is this Palm sweet. Springs." Yeah. Anyway, sweet. at the same time, is there anything that you do miss about being in person? I miss the selfies. Yeah. I miss getting to take pictures with all these people. I would kill to have pictures yeah. with like Jer- uh, uh, Joe Mantello and Nathan Lane and all that stuff. But you know, doesn't matter. I got and to there's talk nothing to like really like being in person with somebody, yeah. really being in the same space, like really breathing the same air, and really getting a sense of who they are. Uh, and how did the idea for these trivia nights happen that have been so great through this? Um, you know, I think we were, we realized we could uh, connect with people. We realized that we could just, uh, uh, and do good work at the same time and do good work at the same time. I don't remember, was the Sondheim one, was there a fundraiser for anything, Kevin? Were we trying to raise money for something? I don't remember. I know it was your idea. I don't remember anything else. And it turned that. out, it you know. your idea. It was, and it was just one of those things. I mean, we had nothing to do. We had just absolutely nothing to do. And we like, what a great way of connecting with all of our listeners, you know? And so it was, it was fun that way. Yours is incredible because yours is, you know, high tech and advanced. And we're just sitting, we're just, we're just sitting over here. Like, here's a keynote presentation. Um, I don't know when we'll do another one. Cause I, I, I think, I, we, I think we kind of run out of topics. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know what we do next. I don't, I, you have an idea. Somebody sent us an idea of a trivia and I let us know, but I think we've, we've hit everything. I'd also love to ask about two people who I know are sort of involved, the person who edits and the person who does your social oh, media. Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy you brought them up. Uh, Daniel Schwartzberg is a brilliant individual. Um, he's a, a, a genius young man. Um, and he went to the University of Michigan for musical theater, 
loved our podcast, reached out, got lunch and said, I'll help in any way that I can. I'm really good at editing. And he took the editing job off of our hands. Um, had he not come along, I don't think we would still be doing this because it was just, it was too much for both of us. Um, and Daniel is a genius and he's wonderful. Uh, Bethany and Selecki, same thing. Reached out to us, was like, I'd love to do social media. And she's been with us for a long time. Uh, she's great. She's starting um, uh, a graduate school pretty soon. So she's off on a new adventure, oh. and but she's still going to stay with us. So I'm very happy. And Daniel's also off on a new adventure, but he's staying with us, which is, we're very lucky. We're very lucky very to lucky. have these people. I know that one of your goals when starting starting the podcast was to reach some of the students that you have them to sort of tell them more about about this Golden Age of Broadway and what has your reaction from them been like? It's been good. It's been really great. I mean, our own students, students that we've had in the past, I know there's a lot, some high schools and colleges that uh, require the podcast as part of the curriculum, which is really nice to hear. Wow. Um, Kevin yeah. and I just got asked to do master classes for a couple of high schools that uh, the teachers know us and they, they, they pass them on to the, the students to listen to. So that's been really great because, you know, we knew starting out this would never be a profit making venture. It was always going to be an educational resource. And to know that people are taking advantage of it makes me feel really, really wonderful. Mm -hmm. So it's been a good response. I even had a student, this is so, uh, not meaning to, but it was just so cute. She's from Mexico, uh, does theater. I think it may be in, uh, not Mexico City, uh, Monterrey. Um, and uh, and she was like, Kevin, I just told my friends were like, oh, you know, th th this name sounds familiar. And then her friends knew us from the podcast. And so her she was like, oh my God, your teacher is the host of the podcast that I listened. Back in Mexico, I could not. That, believe it i could not get over it i could not i just was like what it is so it, she was like completely amazed that like her friend from mexico knew about like this podcast that it, her teacher was hosting it's, that was sweet. it's kind of cool i i'd love to just ask you both one last question if that's all right which is what do you think is the magic of your podcast that it's reached out to and touched so many people Oh my gosh, that's so sweet. I've never even thought about it in those terms before. Uh, you're going to speak way better than me, so I'm going to go first because you are so eloquent, please, Bob, please. and you're always so good. But I will say, it's for it for me, and forgive my my baby. And I love that my baby's crying in the background. Yes, because he's going to listen history. to this one day. You know, he is. And Crawford, oh, I love you so much. But uh, it's the fact that, like, yeah. Rob, I, I won't speak for Rob, but like, I grew up in completely insulated in this world this theater world that i loved so much playing the piano and singing show tunes all day that was like the lifeblood that i had never thinking that i would meet charles kirsch never thinking that i'd meet rob schneider slash bob goulet you know and 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 making friends so if if there's anything that i hope that and this might be too pollyanna but is that like that people all over the world maybe be, be in a place like Mexico, like like my student's friend, and that and feel connected to the business, not to us necessarily, but just to the history of what Broadway is and what that art form is, and and maybe they will feel a little bit of what I wanted to find, you know, and 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 feel connected to in in a, in a larger scale. So I that and and because of doing these interviews. I feel so connected to these art to these individuals, and I feel like I've learned by that. So it's it's many ways fulfilling all the fantasies I was had as a kid um, to talk to these people and then to capture it forever. So yeah, it was hoping that like maybe it makes our little tribe just like a little bit bigger, just like a little bit bigger. Rob, what do you have to say with your purple slash blue fingernails? Thank you so much. I think the the magic quote unquote is exactly what Kevin was saying. You know, not to sound like an old person for. 
a bunch of us that love musical theater and that weren't able to get to New York, you know, you would have to move heaven and hell. You would scout, there was no internet. You'd have to scour bookstores to find, here's Stephen Sondheim's biography, or here's this playbill, or you would have to go and find who has a bootleg of this, like, you know, and you would get, remember Kevin, you get like grainy VHS tape. Someone had a Tony Award tape from 1972 and you couldn't see anything because the tracking was all, you went to so much work to love this genre. And what we, I think, what, what I think the magic is, is that other people go, oh my God, I'm not alone. Oh, there's other people that did that too. I remember going and scouring bookstores looking for theater world. I remember how happy I was. Oh, you talked to Joe Smith 94 on the Barbara Cook chat room and he also traded you, you know, the soundboard of the grasshopper. Yes, me too. Oh my God, whatever. So it's, it's that shared community. And I think one of the things that is so wonderful about Broadway today, but maybe what some of our list, younger listeners might not understand is Today, it's so easy for everybody. I mean, I know tons and tons of people that literally are seeing every Broadway show because it's on YouTube and they can instantaneously get a cast recording and they can instantaneously share an opinion and they can talk to Jay Armstrong Johnson. And we, we didn't have that. We didn't have that. So I think what the magic is, it's a bunch of people going, ah, yes, this is what I have to do to keep my love of this art form alive. And I think that's, I think if there's any magic to it, I think that's it. Kevin said it 10 times better than I ever could, but it's literally the same thing. You know, Kevin said it's about expanding your tribe, and I think it's about recognizing there is a tribe, you know? That's nice. Yeah. Thank you so much for asking me. I've had so much fun, and I'm so honored to be to be able to interview you two for your 500. Thank you. We're, we are so honored that we've had 500 episodes. We're so honored that we have amazing listeners that are have stuck with us since the beginning and continually supporting what we're doing and what we're trying to do. But we're also so happy that there's someone like you out there who's much younger than us to know that you're out there also trying to, to spread the good word and to preserve these stories. It makes us breathe a little easier because we if we go, oh my God, I can't believe we don't have blah, blah, blah. It's okay. Charles has it. Listen to Charles's show, everybody. Backstage Babble, it's fantastic. But I'm so grateful for you. And of course, after 500 episodes, it goes without saying how grateful I am to have Kevin here because Kevin oh. could have run away at any chance, at any opportunity. So thankful. So thankful. To be like, I don't want to do this anymore. And no, I love him so like a brother. So, so it's, it's, it's so nice that we got to reconnect like this. Right back at you. Yeah. Thank you, Charles, so much for, for doing this today. Oh. So much fun. Thank you again. I had well, a lot of fun too, so. Yay! All right, bye everybody. Bye listeners. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And a big thanks to the punchy players, Jeff Marquis, who is bringing back Lucy, Betty, Judy, and Morda shill for us. And a big thanks to our sound editor, Daniel Schwartzberg, and social media manager, Bethany Ann Selecki. And don't forget, we want more folks to hear these incredible stories, and that's where you come in. In order for people to find out about us, we need lots of ratings on iTunes. So head on over to iTunes, search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends, click on our logo, click on ratings and reviews, then write a review and leave us five stars and make us feel as special as Eliza Doolittle on Eliza Doolittle Day. Or you can leave us just one star and you can make us feel as baddie, baddie, bad as Annie did in that really weird production in Boston where Annie dreamt that she was being adopted, but then she ended up back where in the orphanage right back where she started yeah true story rob saw it yes and it was batty it was bizarre i was there i was 
Oh, God. So head on over to iTunes and make us feel even more special than we already do.